Welcome to Better Relationships, Better Life, where relationships expert Judy K. Herman and her guests share insights that can help you move through conflicts in your 9 to 5 jobs and your 24 7 lives. Crack the clarity code and create deeper connections beyond the messiness of relationships. Here's your host, Judy K. Herman. This episode and the next are part one and two of a topic that touches many of us, severe mental illness. In part one, we're addressing the caregiving season of a young marriage. In part two, we address the growing partnership of Mark and Julia Lukacs. This is a remarkable story. You'll want to be sure to tune into both parts. Mark Lukacs is the author of the internationally best-selling memoir, My Lovely Wife in the Psych Ward. His freelance writing has been published in the New York Times, The Atlantic, Pacific Standard, Wired, and other publications. He is currently the ninth grade dean at the Athenian School, where he also teaches history. He lives with his wife and their sons in the San Francisco Bay Area. Let's tune in. Thanks so much, Mark, for being here. I'm so honored that you are spending some time here because you have made such an impact in my life. And so thank you for for being here. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Judy. I'm looking forward to chatting. I want to tell you, your book, uh, your book, My Lovely Wife in the Psych Ward, has been, it was published at a divine time for me. I'm telling you, it was, it came out in 2017. That's correct. And yeah. uh, so on a personal level, I was dealing with my husband's recovery from psychosis and mm. we actually both read that book and it made such a huge impact. And of course I've mentioned you in my book and you have endorsed my book beyond messy relationships, but I just want folks to see this because it really took a lot of courage so why don't you share with people who are not familiar with your story and uh, yeah, give us, give us the story. Background. Sure thing. So, well, first off, thank you for that. And I loved reading your book and I'm glad to see that you're continuing to do work to help people move forward with their relationships and especially those that are impacted by trauma and mental illness. Um, our story, our story through mental illness started in 2009 uh, my wife, Julie, and I, we actually met back in 2000 when we were 18 years old and we started mm-hmm. dating right after college started. And we had this very fairy tale romance that I write mm-hmm. about, but it was in 2009 when this like incredibly high achieving, capable, successful career woman had a totally unexpected psychotic break, which was very serious and very cute and lasted a long time. And it was really, I mean, I mean, we were 27 years old at the time. It was like extremely disorienting. And honestly, it was really isolating. And I felt really lonely, you know, Mm. and here we are, we're talking in 2022, but like, you got to think back to the conversation Mm. around mental illness and mental health that was happening in 2009, which was, it's been a while, but it felt like it was, it was really, really back decades as far as like, in terms of acceptance and awareness and I'll be honest, Julie and I actually both went into it, her episode, with a lot of stigma ourselves and a lot of sense that like mental illness happened to people who were weak and taking medicine was like the easy route and all these other like really limiting and harmful mindsets. And so we went through um, 
she was, you know, basically her psychotic episodes last anywhere from like a month to two months. And then they're let, let me hold this. Let me hold this for a minute, Mark. Sure. Here you are both 27 years old. Yeah. Uh, and, and you kind of had this attitude about mental illness, I, I'm assuming, because you weren't up close and personal with it. Did you have anybody in your life, any family members, any friends that had any kind of mental illness that you were even exposed to early on? No, we didn't. I mean, the closest I had is my grandfather's an alcoholic. And so I was familiar with like the culture and language of AA and 12 step mm -hmm. programs, but uh -huh. alcoholism doesn't have medication, right? Yeah. And it, all, it doesn't even necessarily like the 12 step program is more of a communal thing rather than like going to a therapist. And so when Julia started to spiral and kind of feel work stuck at work, we really just had no frame of reference mm. for what was happening. No family members, no friends. We were very sheltered in that way. Mm. And, and like I said, as a result, I think we were really, we were woefully malinformed, like malinformed and pretty ignorant about what it all entailed, yeah. you know? And I think that also set my expectations for what might happen in a really uh, unproductive way where I was, I was expecting that like, if she did take a pill, it would be like a couple days and then she'd be fine. You know, you know what I'm telling you, Mark, you're 27 and figuring this out. And there's so much that you and I, I feel like you're of kindred spirit with me because of what I've gone through with my husband. But honestly, what you're describing as a 27 year old and here, I've been experiencing it as a mental health therapist whose husband was going through this. But there's a whole lot of what you're saying that I thought, too. He'll just oh, go to the totally. hospital. He just gets on the right medication. He'll be back. Yeah, that's that was that was really my expectations. And so, like, a lot of the whole process of being her caregiver was recalibrating my expectations, mm. you know. And mm -hmm. to be honest, one of those expectations was the fear that I just might have a patient as my partner for the rest of my life. You know, wow. that was maybe where we were heading because of just have how acute her symptoms were and how resistant they were to any sign of improvement from medication. You know, let, let mean, me ask Mark at this stage, uh, how, how long were you married at this point? So we met when we were 18, we got married six years later when we were just barely 24. Mm -hmm. And so we had been married for three, but together for nine uh -huh. years. Wow. But you have to, I mean, if you met in your forties, that's a lot different than meeting when you're 18. So basically yeah, we transitioned from being kids to adults together. Yeah, right? absolutely. And we're, I think as young people often do, maybe had some codependencies going on, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And um, hadn't really individuated who we were. It was more like as individuals, but more just like who we were as a collective. Mm. I think that was another really big thing we had to address was like, okay, wow. What did this mean about what our relationship looked like and what wow. the future of our relationship was going to look like? Yeah. So, so to kind of like recap, she, she's going through this high stress position at work yes. and the, and her symptoms just got worse. Can you just describe that a little bit? I think you've done that in some of like in your Ted talk and, and mm -hmm. just kind of give people a picture of what that even looks like. How many days did, you know, what was really going on before all of this happened? Yeah. So, I mean, Julia was always with her high achievement. She was, uh -huh. I think, had perfectionist tendencies, never anything that was really alarming. Uh -huh. um, I write about one thing in college where she thought she lost a paper and had like a really big panicked reaction, but like 
honestly, if you, if you lost a 10 page paper in college, that's a, you get hey, kind of upset about that. Well, right? yeah. I mean, all yeah. of us would have a reaction to that yeah. for sure. <laughs> and so it was, it was more of this like hesitancy and insecurity. And mm. um, she was always so certain of what mm. she wanted and where she was going. And as work got a little overwhelming or not a little, a lot overwhelming, I think it was just that lack of certainty in mm. life. And that's where it started. And then it escalated to physical manifestations, like especially a loss of appetite and an inability to sleep. Mm. And that quickly ramped up then to experiencing psychosis. And honestly, from day one until her being admitted in the hospital was only about a six week period. You know, wow. Wow. it was also a six week period where I'm a high school teacher and I was restarting my school year. Wow. And so I was very much settling back into the rhythms of school, which go in a million miles an hour. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had gone from like summer break where it's like, you're home, you're chilling, you're relaxing to being in school where I really had to have my head in the game, you know? And so that I think also made it hard for me to really wrap my head around things because I did feel really um, busy and consumed at work on my own end, you know? Mm, mm. Yeah. So we get to the hospital and they admit her for psychosis. And I, you know, I didn't even know what that word meant when, when they first said it. I mean, you know, there's probably some folks here that are listening to this. They may not know what it means either. Yeah. So, so it's, you know, it's a, it's an encompassing term, but it often means like disassociated thinking, thinking that feels detached from real, like the reality that others are sensing. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it might mean something like, auditory hallucinations, visual hallucinations. It's usually like really rapid spiraling fixated thinking. Um, we have since learned that Julia's psychosis was probably brought on by mania because her diagnosis that she's been living with now is bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. And so that helps to explain her lack of ability to sleep and just like constant energy. The problem is this energy was really channeled in for her. It wasn't I don't know if it was quite auditory hallucinations, but it was definitely a belief system that felt very detached from reality. That was yeah. like, she thought she was kind of the manifestation of evil and needed to leave this earth to like cleanse the earth and all you these know, other that, like very heavy duty yeah. religious type beliefs that came very out of left field from what wow. I know. Yeah. yeah. And I want folks to know there are different levels of bipolar disorder. One yeah. thing I did say in my book, it really is a pet peeve of mine when people say, I'm bipolar. We are like so much more than whatever diagnosis we are. Like you don't totally. say I'm depression or I'm anxiety or I'm totally. this or I'm that. So uh, so that's a, a pet peeve of mine that I actually wrote about in my book. But bipolar disorder with psychotic features, like there's bipolar one, which is is the severe, more severe with psychotic right. features, but not all bipolar disorder does go to that level. It can totally. be, you know, on the other, other scale too. So I just wanted folks to know that as you're explaining this. See, and it's important you say this. And again, this gets back to like where I was in 2009, not having any sense of the difference between any. Yeah. And like, what's the difference between schizoaffective disorder and schizophrenia and bipolar disorder and all these other labels that they were kicking around. And like, I would go and talk to the doctor. I have these phone calls and like write notes fiercely. And then just like, get lost in Google, you know, yeah, yeah. trying yeah. to research as much as I could, but not really being able to make too much sense of it. Cause it just, 
it so clearly did not square with the nine years I had spent with Julia up to this yeah. point where I was wow. like, none of, none of this makes sense. What you're, where you're telling me, like where this label means we're standing mm. right now. Mm. Right. Yeah. So she was in the hospital the first time for how long? It was 23 days. Yeah. Wow. And then she was, then she transitioned to an outpatient program. And by this point I had realized the severity of what we were going through. So I had taken a lengthy leave from work. I basically took a semester off Yeah. and what was really abrupt and startling, something I was really looking forward to and anticipating was getting her home. Mm. But what was so disorienting is I went from only being able to see her 90 minutes a day during visiting hours to then basically being the only adult responsible for her mm. 24 hours a day. Right. Oh my goodness. And that's when, because a detail that I haven't mentioned is like, we come from really loving supportive families, but they live all over the place. So yeah. like when we were living in California, I mean, we still do live in California, but like we were the only ones from either side of the family who were out there. And so my parents were actually living in Japan at the time. Julia's oh, wow. from Italy. Her parents were in Italy. So just like the ability to have people there, family mm. you might otherwise lean on. It wasn't only on the other, other side of the world. It was a t- like nine, 12 hour time zone differences too. Wow. You know? So it really was like, I felt this immense responsibility um, wow. to be the one to take care of Julia. Wow. that uh, That's a heavy load. Yeah. Mark for you yeah. as a 27 year old man. Yeah, I was a kid. And and to be honest too, like we were just beginning to think about having kids. And so like, mm. I was really processing, like grieving the future. I thought we were lining mm. up to and doing that all privately because I had to like project this image of optimism and cheer to Julia. And yet at the same time being like so scared and so wow. sad, but really having to like, kind of keep that hidden from her because I was so worried about upsetting her or like, again, I didn't really know how this all works. So I had this like assumption that like my feelings could somehow be contagious to her feelings and I would make things worse for her. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. So it was, it was rough. It was a very exhausting and draining time. But like the point that I wanted to get to when I kind of started with all this is like, the biggest difference to me in 2009 was that there was no conversation going about this. Wow. Like, oh, I overall, a- I mean, like overall, like there is definitely now in 2022 and right. having all of us have gone through the pandemic, uh, there's definitely more attention and totally. less stigma with mental health and mental illness. Yes. So, but it wasn't like that in 2020. And you know, Judy, you said like you found my book when is a time when you needed it. And like, to yes. be honest with you, I was looking for the book that was going to help me out, you know, wow. like, because I was reading a lot of really great, helpful books about what Julia was experiencing, Yeah, but I wasn't, and I'm a, I'm a historian, I'm a reader, I'm a researcher. So like, I was trying to find places where people could explain what had happened and just mm. like give me a like this sense of I'm not alone mm. but I wasn't finding him you know mm. really wasn't finding any and so it was like kind of through that that sense of loneliness and isolation mm. like feeling like you're the only person on planet earth who's going through this and yet realizing there's 30 other people in the psych ward with her and so there's wow. 30 other families who were also experiencing what I'm experiencing and then there's all how many other hospitals are there so like there's so many people 
who go through this uncertainty and the burden and exhaustion of caregiving and all this other stuff. And it was sort of like, where is that voice that I can mm. relate to it? You know? Yeah. And so that's why that, that sort of that absence of it is why I ended up feeling like I wanted to maybe hopefully fill that void, you know? Well, I want to bring attention to something because um, in an earlier episode on this podcast um, is episode 25 and Rebecca Wong, she's a trauma therapist that works with couples, but she gave a remarkable definition of trauma. Yeah. And, and that, uh, that definition is any fear or pain that doesn't have the support that it needs with that it, for digestion and integration right. into the flow of the developing brain. Huh. That's exactly what you're talking about. You're going through this trauma. She's yeah. going through this trauma. You had no, you had no support system the isolation alone is huge yeah. to, that, you know, can make things worse, but uh, not having that. So here's what I've come to realize, even in writing my own book. And this was kind of an aha, actually, Mark, recently that I came across when I was given a presentation on, on trauma. But the very act of me writing my book, and I'm thinking probably you too, is that it was a way to integrate and digest the story into our brains. Like you are here, you're out to help people, right? right? But I would like to even go there with you because how did you, first of all, how's Julia with this? Like that takes a lot of courage for your wife, for no, you totally. to write these, yeah. these things. Totally. Share that, share that journey. So I'll start. I'm hearing two questions. How's Julia through all this, knowing that this is, I wrote this, but then also like, what was my, why did I end up writing and how did writing help me? So let's start. And let me start with, if I can start actually with the, the, the question about writing, cause that leads. Yeah. To this. And I, I guess I want to uh, also like, cause I'm very familiar with this story. I've read your book. I've listened yeah. to so many of your, uh, like your YouTube and, uh, and some other things, but I want, I don't want to leave folks hanging. So <laughs> As far as closing up the story with a little bit. Oh, sure. Here. <laughs> let me catch you up to speed on where. Okay. So let me catch you up to speed with where Julia is in her health journey. So yeah, like yeah. her first episode was a month in the hospital. Basically her outpatient program was about nine months where she was very depressed and suicidal. And I, and I actively mm -hmm. worried about her safety in that time. And then they kind of tweaked the medicine the right way. And we had this like rather remarkable recovery where it did feel like Julia was back. Wow. And so we hope that this was a one-off episode. So, and so let me, let me hold this. So it's about a year from the onset of the illness. Roughly like 10 months start to finish. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that was a long time. And I, of course I had to go back to work for half of that, you know? Yeah. And, um, and then afterwards, um, we hoped that things were well enough that we could proceed back with the future we had envisioned. So Julia resumed working. We, uh, we had a child together. All that was going really well mm -hmm. until she went back to work after her maternity leave when our baby was five months old. And then she had her, her a relapse, which was mm. once again, a month in the hospital and then about six months in outpatient program where now- so so was that episode then 
less severe? I mean, obviously this is the second time around. You kind of like, you know, what's going on a little bit more than the first time, but what was that second time? Like, I mean, you've got a little baby, brand new baby. Well, yeah. So I would say in terms of her symptoms, it was less severe because you're right. We did. In fact, I remember like begging the, the ER psychiatrist, like we've been here. Like I know how to help her. And she like, pulled me out in the aisle and was like, you haven't been here because now you have a baby and that changes everything. Wow. Right? Like, the care you gave to her is you cannot do that. You, cause you have this dependent infant who needs your help. And so, and she was right. And I was wrong. Right. Yeah. Like, well, I'm glad that she had that insight. Yeah. 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 And so Julia was actually kept in the hospital for a longer time. And I think that's because they wanted her psychosis to really resolve before she yes. was the baby. And unfortunately though, she still do go, went through a pretty low lengthy depression, a suicidal depression, which was, you know, in the house, all three of us with like really, really different energies, right? Like wow. what a toddler one. It wasn't even a toddler. He was five months old. So what a, when mom came home, he was six months old, what he needs and wants as compared to what Julia was going through and processing. Um. So I'd say that like, Actually, the second episode, I think for me, was the hardest one for me, just because it was holding space for these like two really, really different needs, which was- Did you have, let me ask Mark, did you have a support system at that point? Yeah. So you you know what? I actually meant to address that when you said I didn't have a support system. You're right in that we didn't have family that lived nearby, Uh but I did have a therapist who I started seeing during Julia's first episode, Yeah, which was- really, really crucial to me. It did give me a place where I could like process the grieving I was feeling and the fear I was feeling. And honestly, even like some of the anger and resentment I was feeling. Oh yeah. I wasn't proud that I was feeling it, but like, honestly I was, you know, I want to hold, I want to hold something too with what you just said, because, um, I've, you know, I've had my, there, there was an individual I had a few years ago going through exactly what you were going through, Mark. And he was seeing me and, and I, I showed, I gave him your book Yeah, and he read it. Oh my goodness. It gave him such insight and just really helped his attitude hugely, but you can't help, but not have the resentment and anger when you're going through such stuff. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. It's like, it's, it wasn't her fault, but it was kind of like, you disrupted all this good stuff and this plans we had, like Mm. we had, so it was all going so well, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And like, of course she didn't do it by choice. And of course she wouldn't have wanted this to happen. And yet irrationally enough, like you kind of blame someone, you know, let me, let me ask because in between the episodes, Mark, yeah. uh, How, how much did Julia, um, and she's not here. I wish she were here with you. So she can, I know. Unfortunately, it's really hard for us to figure oh. out because we're both two working parents of two kids. And so the yeah, yeah. Oh, I get that. both of us is really. Well, tricky. she'll watch the recording to make sure you said the right thing. Uh, yeah, exactly. uh, but I do want, I want you to answer for her because I'm curious, how much was her insight? How much insight did she have over her episodes and the effects that it had on you and on the family? Oh, that's a great question. So. The first episode, none at all, because I completely hid that from her. Mm. And it was only it was after episode one that I started writing. Mm. And to be honest, I started writing 
to help me make sense. But I also started writing because that became the form of communication where Julia could hear what I was saying. Cause like she was better. And meanwhile, I, who had been holding it together for 10 months, I finally kind of fell apart myself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And she started to have this attitude towards me, which was like, Hey man, I'm better. Like, what's the problem? Why are you on her? Like, let's, let's go back to having fun. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't get it. You are better. So now I can be, uh, I can show the cracks in my armor that I've been barely holding together for the yeah. last, you know? And so like, we were, we were having such a hard time communicating that it turned out that like, I found that by writing, I was able to like, I have this, this thinking that like, when you speak, it's kind of like the rough draft of your thoughts and they don't mm-hmm. always come out as you want them. Yeah. So when you write, you get to like rephrase and edit. And so if I was writing something, it would make, I was sure that what I was saying is what I wanted and intended to say. Yeah. And then when I would give it to Julia, like where I was processing some part that I had gone through, she would read it. And it was like, oh, she would read it when she was prepared to read it rather than just like I blurted it out the dinner table. And so that actually became really, really important for us because I I did feel so much like 99.9% of our life was Julia's illness. Yeah. Point one percent was me. And that's just not like relationships can't sustain that. Yeah, you know? exactly. Exactly. And so I had to like make sure that she was understanding that, like, yes, it was nice that our parents were offering help, but like the help kind of felt oppressive to me. Yeah. And that, like I know I had to make some of these choices, but like it was because I was afraid for your life and your safety. And like yeah, yeah. that's a you, you need to understand that's what was driving where I was coming from. And so um you asked like, what was her awareness of it? It was none. And I think well, it was also- and I, I actually want to hold that too, because it wasn't until my husband's second yeah. psychosis that I came across a term and you'd think I would have known it as a mental health therapist. Um, it's called anisognosia. Uh-huh. And that I is- I know this term. Okay. And, and I came across Dr. Amador's book and it's, it's called, I don't, I'm not sick and I don't need help. But uh-huh. people who have schizophrenia or- um, I think it's 40, 50% of people who have schizophrenia, 40% of people who have bipolar disorder have anisognosia, which is actually a condition in the brain, which makes it impossible for them to have the insight, connect those dots uh, from the past to the present. Huh. I read your book and I read Dr. Amador's book back to back and it made a lot of sense. It helped me to have some more compassion for him that I wouldn't otherwise have. Right. So, uh, but I had well, no here's idea. Here's what I would say, term. based on what you're describing that condition, I actually think what Julia was in was not, I don't, I don't think Julia experiences that. I think what she was, was in a state of denial. Yeah. And th- that makes sense. And, and obviously that's her mind, you know, obviously and like, it's been broken if you wrote the book and she's read it and she said, okay, right. honey. <laughs> yeah. And so, so I think after the first episode, it was like shame and denial. Like I'm not a sick person. Mm-hmm. And I think that what happened during episode two for her and for us was that we had to accept that this in fact was not something that would just go away. It was, in fact, going to be part of our lives. And so we had to make peace with that and plan for the future, but also like know how to support what her experience of her mental illness felt like and also what my experience of her mental illness felt like. Yeah. We had to make peace with it and plan for the future. 
These are profound words. Mark gives us such wisdom about a partnered marriage when he talked about how important it was for him and Julia to be open to each other and their unique experiences of the traumas they'd been through. If you're like me and this story has touched you on a very personal level, I want to share my takeaways specifically with you. Number one, give yourself plenty of grace when dealing with severe mental illness. Number two, surround yourself with support, whether you're the caregiver or the one with a diagnosis. And number three, you're not alone. Check out Mark's website, marklukach.com. That's spelled M-A-R-K-L-U-K-A-C-H.com. And for more support, especially with counseling or coaching, please get in touch with me through my website, judycounselor.com. What resonated with you? Be assured that I read every comment from those who share their takeaways by filling out the form on the website, betterrelationshipsbetterlife.com. I would absolutely love to hear from you. Make sure you tune in to part two next week as we continue this conversation with the internationally best-selling author of My Lovely Wife in the Psych Ward. In the meantime, please share, subscribe, rate, and comment in the streaming platform of your choice. See you next time for part two on Better Relationships, Better Life.